Shall we welcome with a hand clap? Thank you. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Um, many people asking me about Mary's. She's stuck in Colombia. We, we had a delay with the visa system, and she might not be back for about three months. Okay, so please pray. I don't think we can do it quicker than two. They've given us a date of the 5th of July, and that's just to do the English. It's not UK, so there's big delays. But she's busy. She's traveling. She's preaching. And that's, that's a very good part because I want her to get that experience. So it'll probably, at this point, it'll be something like July, August, okay? Um, good morning. Has anybody else got hay fever? Jesus. Um, I have, eyes forward, I have a really, really important word. I have a really, really one, two, one, two. I have a really, really, really important word. Otherwise, I would pass the mic to David. So I'm going to preach anyway. Amen. Just in 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 agreement with everything that's been said. Those songs. Can we give the worship team a round of applause? What? Okay, okay, I'm not going to throw any more chairs around. I'm, I'm, I'm done throwing chairs, okay? This is just an example. So last week I was preaching on the same topic. Listen to this. Preaching on the, on the same topic, and I had this guy, called him out, put him in the seat. He did not want to sit down because he was determined to get here. It shocked me. It amused me, but it shocked me. The backdrop to what we're studying at the moment, if you remember, it's what? I guarantee you that your problem is not in the walking. I guarantee you. Your problem is what Paul correctly put. You never properly sat down. If anybody properly sits down, these two things, they're automatic. They'll just follow through. But like me and Watchman Nee in his book, Sit, Walk, Stand, he, 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 he stresses the fact that in his life, and probably in yours too, when you get saved, discipleship, leadership training, etc., etc. But if the work of proper rest is never you know, done properly by that midwife, you are destined, like 99.9% of the Christian world, to live a partially functional life. Not dysfunctional, that's too harsh. But not functioning, perhaps, at the level that I should be. Amen. Does anybody feel they're functioning the way they should? No. I don't feel that I'm anywhere near that. I, I, it's, it's a hard thing to say, but it is true. Is, is, is the righteousness of Christ expressing itself through me the way it should? No. Have I cried out like Richard did this morning for, for that? Yes. But in the Bible, stay with me here. In the Bible it says this. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you know what my problem is? I have asked God for righteousness. I have wanted righteousness. But I just wonder, have I ever hungered and thirsted after righteousness? Are you with me? Blessed are they, Jesus says it himself, those who will be satisfied are those who almost ruthlessly pursue righteousness. They're so passionate after it. And that's not something in comparison to the people around us. Our, our test case this morning will largely be the Apostle Paul, as I've been studying Paul's life this week. It never ceases to amaze me. I mean, he was a human being, but man alive, what a life. What a life. 13 books of your Bible from one human being. He suffered incredibly, but he did enter into the righteousness of Christ. Don't you think? The righteousness of God is, is seen in Paul. Don't you agree? I think so. And he's the man who teaches us how he got there. He's the guy, more than anybody, in fact, in Scripture, who tells us, it, this comes from Ephesians, He's the one who says, first I had to learn to sit. First I had to learn to rest from my own efforts. 
goodness knows, for me as a Catholic, that was my background. If I try hard enough, I'm going to improve. If I just work hard enough, if I pray hard enough, everything's my effort, isn't it? It's just human nature. But my destination is not heaven. Your destination should not so much be heaven. It should be Christ-likeness. Heaven's a byproduct. It's a side issue. And if I get confused with heaven, it's the wrong focus, isn't it? My destination, my focus, right through Scripture, is Christ-likeness. His righteousness exemplified within me. Some of us, a few weeks ago here, we took a few hours and we looked at church history. And it's, it's a subject I think every Christian, and I know Tim wants us to do it as a church, maybe on, on Sunday mornings. But you and I are the product of our culture, and I hope I can't... <laughs> Maybe we're the product of our culture just as much as our theology. Maybe my history and my background in, in Belfast, in Ireland, has affected me far more than I think. If you look back in church history, around, I think it's 1053, the Roman Catholic Church became very strong in Rome. Gregory the Great was the leader at that time, the Pope at that time. And he wanted to control the whole world. There were five big churches in the world in different countries. And he wanted the Roman Catholic Church to become the lead church. We're going to be the Pope of the whole world. That didn't go down very well. So there was a thing called the Great Schism. This has affected you. There was a split in the church in history. The Roman Catholic Church split one way, okay, and formed and influenced a lot of the Western church. And in the East, you have the Orthodox in all its different forms. These two expressions of Christianity are incredibly different. Take a look at this. In the West, you had, as I say, the Roman Catholic Church, where I grew up. You go into any Catholic church, what do you find? A crucifix. A crucifix is the one with Jesus on it. Right? And the focus in the West, and this includes Africa, Europe, all of these countries. Your focus, and it's almost subliminal. The first words out of your mouth, Jesus died for me. The focus is on what? The death. Of Jesus. In fact, there's almost a weakened Jesus in the Western representation. Go to any Catholic church, Jesus is either on a cross or he's a baby in arms like emeralds here. And when I see a little baby, I don't see a victorious king. I see a baby that needs help. Isn't it? Jesus needs my he can't handle it alone. I'm going to have to assist him. When I see Jesus on the cross, I need to... Help him. He's so weak, so vulnerable. And the Western church, including me, my history, not my theology, my cultural history has caused the first words out of my mouth to be, Jesus died for you. And we think that's okay. It is okay. It's just not complete. In the Eastern church, it took such a different road. They have a cross, not a crucifix. You go in, there's such a stark difference if you go, and I travel a lot in those regions. If you go into those churches, they're so bare in comparison to what I grew up with. There's a church in Clerkenwell called St. Peter's Italian Church. You should see that place. It's got more clutter than my house. It's full of stuff, right? It's just packed full of stuff. This is so much the opposite. So the Eastern Church focused on the risen Jesus Christ. And whether I like it or not, sooner or later in my life, I do need to stop and look at the cultural effect that it's had on me, my upbringing. Am I a person who focuses on, Johanny, the resurrected king is resurrecting me? Is he? Or is it that I'm stuck here? Remember, Jesus said so well, it is finished, didn't he? Finished for who then? <laughs> Finished for who? Many sermons along that line, I can tell you. Thousands. Where pastors will say, well, it's finished for him. But it's not finished for you. And that's the exact opposite of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying it is finished for you. And then it's just a question of what is finished. Right? 
And in the book of Ephesians, he goes into that with great uh, thoroughness. Look at the second scripture on your page there, top of your notes. Acts chapter 1, verse 21, Judas has hung himself. The apostles need to appoint a new apostle. And look at their thinking. Look at the way they were thinking. Acts chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, it is necessary to choose of the men who have been with us from the whole time that the Lord Jesus Christ was living among us, beginning with John's baptism to the time when (coughs) Jesus was taken up from us. From one of these, we must uh, choose a witness with us of what? Ah, and so their focus and my focus was not so much on the death. The death has a part, of course, for salvation. But their focus was on the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. You think back to your salvation. Remember that occurrence. If you were born again this morning, then like me, at some point, you came to a point where you realized you could do nothing to save yourself. Isn't that correct? That is the only way to be saved. Remember that? Remember that you know, thought? Remember that feeling? It's a feeling of complete bankruptcy. Richard, good leadership this morning. Woke up thinking, I don't think I've got anything. That's, to be, believe it or not, it's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. God seems to have an awful job to get people there. I couldn't get the guy to stay in the seat last week. He don't, I don't want to sit down. That's what the prodigal son was like. Daddy, I'm not your son anymore. I'm just worthy of being a servant. Let me work. I don't want to sit. Son, sit down. So difficult to get Christians to accept that. My point to you this morning, quite simple. In the same manner That got you saved, which was an awareness of your bankruptcy. In that same mindset and only in that mindset are you going to grow. That's it. There's no other way. When you realize there is nothing in myself, I can't do this. I can't live this Christian life. Well, we have an announcement to make. You were never expected to. You were never intended to. And if it's really hard, it's because you're missing the key part. Simple as this might sound, it is simple. It's like, it's a paradox. It's simple, but it's not simple. It's spiritually gotten. How do I take that seat so that this whole process in me can begin? Some of you are stuck. Pause with me a moment. And I want you to think of your life, okay? What do you know God has called you to? What's missing? In your relationships, in your ministry, in your marriage, in your career. What do you know in your heart? I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to be this. I know I am. I can feel it. And how frustrating it is for me. What is that for you? You know it. See that thing. Do you know what's blocking it? Most likely, and I'll prove it in a moment, your strength. You got saved. Remember. Let's go back. Remember. You got saved because you let go of that strength. Remember. You were convinced that you couldn't do this. Now, in exactly the same way, and only in exactly the same way, are you going to proceed. But the prodigal... Even though he, com- he comes back and he represents you and me. Even though he comes back. His religious nature, of which I am a victim. He just thinks he can work this out myself. I'll, Daddy, I'll work in your house. But that's not going to work. Your strength is probably the thing. And that's Paul's point. He comes to a place where he realizes he's bankrupt. And then proceeds to... And enforce that in his life. Self-denial and denial of self. Two different things. Self-denial is when I fast for a week. That's easy, simple. Self-denial. Denial of self, they're both. Jesus gives us both, right? Scripture very clear. Yes, fast. Yes, pray. Denial of self is when 
who I am, I die for Christ. Okay? So in my life, I give up any hope that I can save myself, I get saved. Now, to proceed in my ministry, career, marriage, home, farm, whatever the dream is that you know is just seems beyond my reach. Why can I not grab that? I tell you, Christ would say, can you sit down? Would you just sit down? good friend of mine, pastor, came to me privately. And he said, because um, I wasn't going to get married. And he knew I'd decided I was going to get married. And I met Mary's two weeks after that. And we were engaged within about four months. So he took me aside and he said, that was very quick. I was saying, well, you see, the delay, the delay is the strength. And if anybody takes a seat, do you know it was only 11 days from Kadesh here to the promised land? How long did it take them? 40 years. It wasn't going to be long, you know. It wasn't going to be long. They made it long because they told God they couldn't do it in their own strength. They couldn't do it in their own strength. So it took 40 years to do what God would have done. He doesn't want to waste your life. Hello. And if the years are ticking by, it, it's a telltale sign to you that there's a high likelihood that you are leaning in your own strength. A very high likelihood. In fact, Scripture is peppered with people. I've given you three. The principles of, of death to self and self-effort. Self Remember Peter, the master fisherman, right? He's a businessman, a tradesman, a skilled person, an expert in catching fish. Now, Jesus, you know the story. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. How do you convince Peter to trust in Jesus? <laughs> he's out and he's fishing all night. He's an expert. Everybody say expert. expert. How many fish did this expert catch then? What's going on? What is it in Peter that needs to be convinced? God wanted Peter to come to the end of himself to realize, do you know what? I can't do this. Do you get it? Yeah. And this goes through scripture. I mean, Lazarus. Jesus could have gone and raised Lazarus, couldn't he? Jesus could have sent a word. But he wanted them to be convinced that there's nothing left of human effort. So he waits one day, two days, three days, so that they're convinced we can't do this. Any Christian... Any seed that falls into the ground dies, becomes so fruitful. Any Christian that says, I can't save myself, that's when you get saved. Any Christian that says, I can't walk this life, I suddenly realize I can't do it. That's the person who rises in the righteousness of Christ. And that's what happened Peter. That's what was happening with Lazarus in their marriage at Cana. Remember what happened there? He had to wait until everything was gone so that they're forced onto him. I could give you so many examples here. Remember the 12 spies when they were going to go in and take the promised land. Ten of them said, we can do this in our own strength. But two of them were convinced that they needed God, wasn't it? Listen carefully. Jesus said, every one of you will die. Sorry, all the fighting men will die in the wilderness. I will wait until all the strength is gone from the nation. And when the only people left are those who are not depending on themselves, you will take the, all of the land. Hello, did you get that? All the fighting men, all the self-effort has to be gone. And when it's truly, truly gone, then you can take whatever. And by the way, he said you're going to take all of the land. I'm going to give it all to you, but not with self-effort. The list is endless. Abraham and Sarah. Right? Why wait until you're 99? <laughs> Why? Because I need you to be convinced, totally convinced, that you can't do this yourself. So me in my life, and I advise you to... to, to I, I think people sometimes 
come here, shh. I think people sometimes think that I am anti-career or anti-qualification or anti-title. I'm not anti-anything. But there is a man called Paul who has risen to heights beyond my dreams. And Paul said this, do you know the first thing I did? All of my abilities, all of my qualifications, all of your so-called titles, the first step for me was I named them as, I can't say the word, it's a dirty word. He uses strong language. The first step for me was to, I've given you the scripture, uh, point one, you can take your seat when you die to your own achievements. That's Paul's first point. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider them loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Savior. Do you get the point? So I'm not anti anything, but I agree with Paul, and I'm sure you do in your heart too, I realize if I'm not careful, the exaltation of what I seem to achieve or be will end up robbing me of everything. Hallelujah. It's absolutely true. Death to your achievements. God bless Ray Belfield. He's dead now. My overseer for many years, very wise man. And we were driving from Liverpool. I shouldn't say Liverpool. Everybody goes, the one. Yeah, I know. We were driving from Liverpool to Glasgow. And he, he just, you know, he was full of little pearls. You just had to listen a long time, didn't you? Because he talked nonstop. Right? Little pearls of wisdom. And on the journey, he turned to me and he said, Mike, never live up to your past. Never try and live up to the things you've been or done. Because that just keeps moving. Learn to just let things go. And I just remembered that. I thought, that's good advice. Whatever I've been. This is Paul talking, isn't it? Whatever I've been or whatever you thought of me, you can let it all go. I don't know. I don't know you well enough in your heart, God does, to know whether you're willing to do that. Or is your reputation more important? I don't know. You tell me. Paul came to a point where he, he was saying, I couldn't care less what you think about me anymore. I consider it all trash for the higher good of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And for that, I just let it all go. So firstly, I want you with me today, and maybe Rich at the end, we can do a practical response. Because I think it's, it's necessary. Are you willing to die to your achievements? Are you willing to die to your achievements? That's a resounding, thank you very much for that resounding positive response. Are you willing to die to your achievements? Yes. You can keep them if you want. Okay. So there's a trade here. You gave God your weakness and your inability and you got saved. Remember, it's not finished. Now there's another trade. I give him all my abilities. That's what Peter was doing in that boat. I need you to be convinced that this won't work, Peter. I need you to let me into that boat. The second thing is Paul no longer judges himself and he doesn't let anybody else judge him either. He's past all of that. If you let people judge you, you're going to be living under their... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Husbands with wives, wives with husbands, churches, pastors, everywhere you go, people are trying to force judgment by their standards, which you will never meet. That's a fool's game. Oh, yeah, amen. It's a fool's game. So Paul puts it very clearly. I care. <laughs> Don't you love the way he speaks? As for me, I care very little anymore what you think of me. Amen. He had, look at this, guys. This is the glass of water. And in that scripture there, he says, my conscience does not condemn me. He says, there's nothing in me that I know to be wrong. There's no sin in me that I know of. But, he says, I don't judge myself. It is Christ alone who judges me. Look at this. This is you. It's a glass of water. And this is an ice cube. When you... Plink, plink, an ice cube, approximately 10% is above the surface. And what Paul is saying is, the things that I know, the sins that I know of, I've dealt with them. There's nothing left in my life that I'm aware of. I've, 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 he sawed the top off the ice cube. I, I've, I, I've repented of everything. 
But what he's saying is, but I'm not stupid. Beneath the surface, I know that God knows things that I don't know. By the way, if you cut the top off, what happens this? Exactly. And as Paul continued in his journey, as he dealt with what was known, he worked his way through deeper levels, things that he was never even aware of. Can you follow that? Amen? So today, for example, it's the same as the promised land. This is how we take our victory. When Joshua went into the promised land, before him was one giant. He was unconscious of the further giants until you defeat the first one. And this is how sanctification grows in us when you deal with what is presented. Amen. So God knows me. That's Paul's point. So I'm not going to judge myself, nor will I let anybody else judge me in that sense, in the wrong sense, I mean. And thirdly, Paul committed himself to a walk of faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Take a look at this. I'm going to read this from Hebrews. If you've got a Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10. My eyes are so bad I can't even see the large print Bible. That's bad, isn't it? That's why I use the expanding text. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10. For, uh, I'll read verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Are you the people of God? You need to enter rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. Just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Hallelujah. There is a rest for me from my own self-effort. There's a place for me which is a place of victory. And you know who's stopping me getting there? Me. Me. And if I can just die to my own self-will, my own self-effort, then God can manifest in my life. Amen. Now, eyes forward, please. One last problem, and it's a serious problem. Remember the Apostle Paul. God was going to do phenomenal things with him, correct? So he was going to be used by... Anybody want to be used by God? If you start dealing with the known sin in your life, and you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do that, don't do this, you don't do that, you know what I mean, right? It's the epitome of legalism, but there you go. Do you know what you're going to become? Proud. As soon as the righteousness of Christ begins to manifest in your life, guess who you're going to attribute it to? You're going to attribute it to yourself. And you're going to start looking around you at everybody around you. I'm giving you a warning, okay, about your future. I hope you're listening because this is really good advice. If anyone in this room is actually serious about seeking and manifesting the righteousness of Christ, warning, warning, pride is there. Because as his righteousness establishes itself in me, the temptation is, number one, I look around me at everybody and everybody's worse than me. Well, at least I'm not like them. You know, I don't do this, I don't do that, and they do this. That's self-righteousness talking. It always reveals itself. So here you go, Paul. Paul made a very good commitment, and he dealt with it. Now tell me this. How did God save God, uh, Paul from pride? Thorn. Thorn. Be very slow to judge Paul. <laughs> Be very slow to, to, to judge Paul. Be very slow to judge the people around. Oh, so-and-so, such a bad temper. You don't know. You don't know whether that person goes home and cries. I could tell you some stories here. You don't know that person. Hello. You don't know if that very flaw that they have is more of a problem to them than you could ever dream of. So don't be so quick to judge. I believe that Paul had a bad temper. That's what I think. Because uh, again, in church history, you'll find a lot of secular writings about him. Don't be quick to judge Paul. 
And God, there, there can be a thorn in your flesh, something in your life. By the way, Paul dealt with his thorn in the flesh. Let me make that clear. Paul dealt with it. He lived with it. Crucifying the flesh every day with it. Okay, so don't use that as an excuse for sin. That's um, bad exegesis, bad use of scripture right there. Paul dealt with his sin, his thorn. Hello. And then proceeded into the manifestation of the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to repeat my warning one more time. Just in case there is anybody in the room here today. If you plan to deal with every known sin in your life. And then you work your way down the ice cube. Be warned. Pride has been waiting there since the book of Genesis. Pride is waiting for you. And you need to prepare yourself for that. There could be a weakness within you. With Paul that was the case. He's a good God. huh? God still manifests him. Look at the story of Peter. The apostle Peter. Highly significant to say the least person in church history but uh, looking around this room I don't think there's anybody in this room probably who's as bad a sinner as Peter maybe Pat but nobody else (laughs) you think I was joking no I'm serious (laughs) I don't think listen the apostle Peter is one of the worst sinners I'm serious if you, you know, Jesus didn't say this. He didn't say, if you go out and commit adultery three times, I will disown you before the Father. didn't say that. If you go out and murder three people, I will disown you, but didn't say that either. Jesus said, if you disown me before people, that sin is so wicked and so serious, I will disown you before my Father. Who disowned Jesus? Peter's failure was the forerunner to his being used by God. And you would have judged him by that fire, not knowing the plan of God, not knowing that God had purposefully weakened him in order to achieve his own purposes. The story's not finished. And any of you who have had troubled lives, Difficult families, divorces, sicknesses. Listen to me. The story's not finished yet. The story's not over. And don't judge. Don't judge. Let God finish his good work. Just stay on the bus. Just stay with him. Let him do his work. Don't run away. I know it's painful. But it's more painful if you run away from the process. So Peter... Keep listening. God has a plan for Peter's life. What Peter didn't realize is that massive failure was part of it. Have you failed? Peter didn't realize that. Huge failure was part of the whole, the whole scheme of things. Ay, 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 ay. He knows the end from the beginning, doesn't he? Amen. I don't know if I ever told you this before. I need to be careful what I say. My wife had dinner with David the other day, and I, I was explaining to him, I need to be careful what I say, because people, they can't believe it. They can't believe it. Believers don't believe nothing half the time. It's true. Believers who don't believe. Jesus had the same problem. But particularly because I'm prophetic, you see, I, I, I have to keep you know, most of my stuff private, because you can't handle it. Listen to this. I don't believe it. You already don't believe it, see? No, I, when Jeanette was sick, Jeanette was at home, right? He's very sick. And I had a problem. Because the, her sickness is not covered by the health service. So I knew I was going to have to pay her eventual bill. For, and it was a huge bill. It's like 100 grand. So I didn't know what to do. So I go out and I say, do you know what, God? Every now and again you need a favor. Have you ever had a favor from God? I've had several. So this is one of these favor moments. I said, okay. I need a favor. I need to know the date. If she's not going to get well, she's going to be committed to health care. I need the date because I'm going to have to sell the house. I can't live if she's not cared for properly. That's too much for me. 
I want her cared for properly. I just need to know the date. This was 2009. Shock of all shocks. September 2015. Jesus. September. September 2015. Thank you. That's all I needed to know. I didn't tell a soul. I just went off. At this time, Jeanette was fine. And by the way, you cannot commit someone to care. You can't do it because there's too many, there's not enough beds. You have to wait for social services and nurses like you, Mary's, to make a decision. 2009, 10, 11, 12, and I've told no one, but I do prepare. I sell my house and all that. 13, 14, the social workers start coming to my house. I don't say a word. And it was about the beginning of the year. They say, we're going to look for a bed. I don't say a word. And in July... August, and then they come back and say, we've got you a bed, and it's going to be September 2015. I know. Because he knows. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the whole story. So don't judge yourself on your current mess. Just trust him. Many, I don't need to understand. I don't need to understand. You don't, you don't owe me an explanation, God. For anything in my life. You owe me no explanation. My job is to serve you and trust you. That's it. That's where it ends. And God, don't judge yourself by your failures. God is bigger than those failures. And he's got a destiny. Peter, now, I, stay with me. So, here's Peter. God's got a great plan for his life. Maybe he's got a plan for you. Business, ministry, marriage. I don't care what it is. God's got a plan. But if I use him, he's going to get proud. Here we go again. Same problem. If even a little bit of my righteousness gets a hold of him, he will associate with himself. I did this. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was me. I did that. So what happens? He goes out and he denies Jesus. Not once. Not twice. But three times. Now he's ready to be used. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny how failure precedes God's use? Isn't that strange, painful? Six weeks after denying Jesus Christ, the Spirit falls on Pentecost. It says in the book of Acts, Peter himself goes out and preaches in Jerusalem. How many people get saved? 3,000 Jews, by the way. That's astonishing. They're tough and stubborn people. Astonishing. 3,000 Jews. Now you can imagine the crowd, right? My God. What an evangelist. They come up and slap Peter on the back. Peter! 3,000 Jews. Whoa! You're a man of God. What a man of God you must be, Peter. This is phenomenal. There's never been anybody like you. Now do you think Peter would have received the praise? No. What's in his mind? Six weeks ago... I denied him. So all of you are slapping on the back and all of your applause means absolutely nothing to me because it, it, it's false. I don't deserve your applause. And in that upper room, after denying Christ, it wasn't a long time. They weren't in the upper room long, 52, 53 days, short time. From brokenness, they took their seat, they rested, and kapush, in comes the power of God. Hallelujah. Don't judge yourself by your failures. Don't judge yourself by your failures. Don't do it. God is in control of all of it. For Paul, it was surpassingly great revelations. That's where your Bible 13 books came from. For Peter, he was going to be the foundation stone of the church. But for both of them, pride was the underlying problem. And God dealt with it so well, so effectively. Hallelujah. Lord, are my strengths the blockage? Is that the problem? Am I too strong? Am I strong in my own eyes and this is the very thing that's stopping you breaking through? 
then touch my hip like Jacob and break me down. Look at the back of your notes. I love this. This is Isaiah. These are, it's not the full set of scriptures. I've chosen certain verses from Isaiah 5 and 6. Isaiah was a prophet. When I first got saved, I wasn't a nice person like I am now. I was very, very rough. I mean very rough. I judged every person in my world. I was full of judgment. Completely. Judged my parents, judged my brothers, sisters, family, work colleagues. Yeah, I was worse than Judge Judy. You know? Isaiah's, a, Isaiah's a prophet. Take a look at these. Take a look at these. This is Isaiah, beginning in chapter 6. And Isaiah's walking around, pointing the finger at everybody. Woe to you who invest in property. Right? That's the first one. People developing wealth in this world. Woe to you who revelry and drunkenness. Woe to you who draw with cords of blah, blah, blah. Woe to you who call evil good. Woe to you whose eyes are evil. Woe to those. And this prophet, do you think he sounds a little bit self-righteous? <clears throat> Hello? Do you think he sounds a little bit self-righteous? I think he sounds very self-righteous. I think he's looking at everybody around him saying, well, do you know what, Tim, for example, the Nepalese? Well, at least, you know, we're not like the Sri Lankans. <sighs> Isn't it? And then the Sri Lankans say, well, well at least I'm not like the Ghana guys. Praise the Lord. And Angela sits here, I'm the only Chinese. No, no, sorry, Val, Ray. We're the Chinese, and at least we're not like them and like this. I know we have faults. We have faults, but nothing like the Nigerians. Amen. Isn't it? Why are you laughing? I'm not being funny. So, tell me, how do you deal... I have no doubt, listen really carefully, I have no doubt that God is moving in Isaiah. I have no doubt. This is God. But look at the result. He thinks it's him. He thinks he's great. And he's pointing at everybody. How does God fix it? Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on his throne. <clears throat> so holy that even the angels had to cover their faces. Verse 6. And the sound of many voices. <clears throat> My hay fever. Uh, sorry, verse 6. And I said what? Were they? No. And I said, woe is me. Hallelujah. As soon as Isaiah, listen to this, eyes forward. As soon as Isaiah stopped pointing at other people, as soon as he did that, oh, gee, he sees God. He sees the glory of God. And suddenly, woe is me. And supernaturally, he's just in a place of rest. His pride revealed. The deception of the way he perceived himself revealed. And it says this, as soon as he accepted that he was morally bankrupt and that only righteousness was of God, as soon as he did it, it says a seraphim, an angel came and touched his lips. He's been saying bad stuff, wrong things about himself. And what were you? What were you judging everybody? And an angel comes, touches his lips. So what does he do now? Retire? No. And the voice of the Lord said, there's a great need. Who shall I send? Ministry, see? And Isaiah, by the way, he's still seated. <laughs> Here I am, Lord. Send me. And God says, okay. And he says, go. And Isaiah moves from sitting to walking. But first you've got to sit. First you've got to sit. The Apostle Paul came to understand that there was no good thing within him. And it was all in God. Who's Richard, I guess you have more qualifications than anybody else here, haven't you? 
Could you come here a moment, please? <coughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> okay. Congratulations on your first qualification. This is he got when he, when he was school, he's head of the class. Yeah. And then he's a prefect. Prefect to the dash. And it's, you know, fantastic. And then he got his first degree. And then he got his master's degree. And then, I'm just starting, by the way. I hope you've got time. So, and, then, and then he got his blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. Rip them up. Hallelujah! <laughs> Praise the Lord. Throw them away. They're trash. Don't start crying. It's just an example. Take your seat. Don't get big-headed now just because I've been the seat. <laughs> if you can't do this, you ain't going to be doing this. Okay? Apostle Paul. First, all of you. He's probably the most able person here in terms of abilities. He's got abilities. No question. Lots and lots of them. So it's harder for him than it is for me or for you, right? Didn't mean to look at you, Tim. He has abilities. You have to let him go. And secondly, I'm going to die to my own will, my self-will, and I'm going to let God do with the rest of my life whatever it is. And as you do this, Lord... Help me realize there's no good thing in me, and I give all the praise to you. And as you do that, Rich, you can walk. Thank God, he says. And walk back to your seat. Hallelujah. Can I have a worship team? I want to do something this morning. I'm not into altar calls, as you know. Sometimes something's important. And this, I think, is really, really, really important. Peter became the best evangelist, but first he had to come through this. Your resurrected life is resurrecting me, please. you used the men of old in your great grace and mercy you humbled them and Paul and Peter and Isaiah each of them had to give up their own fame their own abilities and this morning we as a church recognize that I'm going to open up this space at the front. And if you want to leave in your seat all that you have achieved in your life, everything you're famous for, what people applaud you for, leave it in your seat and present yourself in this space. I want this altar call to be almost like the upper room where Peter left everything behind and just is vacant. Vacant, vacant. So that Christ can come in. This morning I want to defeat the delays. Too many people waiting too long for too many things. I tell you it's an 11 day journey. That's all it is. So this space is open. If you want to come and lay down your life. I invite you right now. Jesus. Thank you Father. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
Jesus. I believe um, God is calling us into a new way of living. You know, there is a saying that if you are strong, God will not fight your battles for you. There's a scripture in Galatians 2.20 that says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And that the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. I believe God is calling us that his, in our weakness, his strength will be made manifested in us. That we don't have to be strong to carry every burden. That it's okay to allow him to take control. To acknowledge that without him we are nothing. I'm just going to pray briefly and the worship will continue. If you want to stay here and worship, please do. Father, this afternoon we come to you. We live in a world that calls us to be strong. 
Father, we live in a world that expects us to be confident, that expects us to believe in our own abilities and to go out and sell it. We have learned it and has become our way of living. This morning or this afternoon, we lay it at your feet. We say, God, help us to walk in the way that you have shown us. Give us the strength of God to be weak, to acknowledge your sovereignty, that he grant us what it takes to live this life that will bring glory to your name. We have tried within our own strength, intellect, and ability, and we keep fighting. This afternoon, we lay our lives at your feet. We say, God, take dominion. God, take absolute control. For without you, we are nothing. This week, oh God, remind us of this very truth. That it is in you we live, move, and have our being. And that without you, God, we can do nothing. Let this truth of God be with us. Every day of our lives. That we will bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. The worship team can still continue to sing and we can worship God. Amen.